Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us your attention, we need everything you got fast Waiting on reparations, we be the illest podcast Tune in every Thursday, politics and wordplay We fight for the people cause they got us in the worst way From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye From the left enclave to what the neocons say Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation And, and break us off with some bread cause we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts West Side Story star Rachel Zegler opened up about playing Snow White in the upcoming live-action adaptation. Megan the Stallion is officially Megan the Graduate. And we're talking with independent Olivia Petter about the Sex and the City reboot. It's December 13th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shyla Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. All right, so to kick things off, Rachel Zegler, who recently starred as Maria in West Side Story, and I'm only hearing wonderful things about it, Shyla. I'm so mm. excited to see it. Uh, well, she talked about taking on another beloved role, Snow White. She'll star in Disney's upcoming live-action remake and told BuzzFeed that she's excited to take Snow White, who's been, quote, criticized for existing solely for a prince and to be rescued, to a new level. Rachel said, I think that our director, Mark Webb, and everyone who's working on this film has really taken her narrative and turned it into something that's a lot stronger. You know, I'm so excited for this because Snow White, like, in addition to this criticism of her, like, only existing for a prince, she really didn't have much of her own story. Like, no, she was like 13 years old or whatever. And she doesn't really have any songs of her own. We don't really get to see any of her personality. So I'm very excited to see what this new movie will be, especially because Rachel is Latinx and they're trying to diversify Disney movies now, Mm. Disney live action movies rather. And I know that she got some criticism when she was first cast and she completely shut those haters down. So I'm just really excited to see her. She's fantastic. She's, she's just such a star already. And yeah, I'm excited for it too. But you're so true. Like literally, like, I mean, I don't rewatch Snow White a lot, but I'm, I'm just like, oh, I guess I don't really remember anything about it except for like the villain and the apple, which again, I just want villain origin stories. Those are what I want, but (laughs) But I'm also okay with, like, actually getting more Snow White and seeing, like, what she's about. And the villain is going to be played by Gal Gadot. So, I mean, already I'm like, there we go. That's great casting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Sign me up for this movie. I'm intrigued. (laughs) 
All right. In other news, Megan Thee Stallion is officially a college grad. On Saturday, she graduated from Texas Southern University and HBCU with a degree in health administration. It's been a long time coming for Megan, who originally started school in 2013, but took time off to obviously develop her stellar music career. There is no telling what Megan might do with her degree, though she has mentioned possibly opening up an assisted living facility. I freaking love this. I didn't know that she was still going to school, which is amazing because it's like she could just not. (laughs) I'm just like, you imagine like Megan graduating like on stage and then you come on after Megan. (laughs) You're like, you're like, all right, all right. My, you know, my parents flew in for this, but thanks for upstaging me. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like she, this is one of those things where I'm just like, everyone's annoying. Like, can you just be good at only one thing? Like, I, no, I love this. For her. I love it specifically because it's a degree in health administration. Like, you know, like it's obviously this was something that was in her passion in 2013. And I'm excited that, you know, it's 2021. And she's like, yeah, I still like it. And I want to get a degree in it. All right. So last week, the Sex and the City reboot and Just Like That premiered on HBO Max and critics and fans alike have some feelings, Casey, like I do. <laughs> I know you do. And I love them all. After spending 17 years off the air, which honestly makes me feel very old. Some feel like this new series has lost some of the wit and edge that made Sex and the City such an iconic and revolutionary show in its portrayal of sexual politics. So today we're talking with the independent's Olivia Petter about the original series and what went right and wrong with the reboot. Hi, Olivia. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So we know that you're a Sex and the City scholar, but before we get into your thoughts about the reboot, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship like with Sex and the City in the past? Yeah, of course. Um, first of all, I love the title Sex and the City Scholar, and I'm definitely going to put that on <laughs> like, all of my social media bios. Um, <laughs> so I started watching the show when I was far too young to watch it, when I was about five, maybe like five or six. My mum was obsessed with it, and we were living in a really small flat together at the time. And she split up with my dad and we shared a bed and we basically just watched it together because she wanted to watch it. And so that meant that I had to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I watched it when I was very young. And then I think I started rewatching it when I was kind of in my late teens, early 20s, because we had all the box sets. Uh, the kind of pink and black ones that everyone always talks yep. about. Iconic. Yeah. I've always felt very nostalgic and attached to them because of that. And because I have this like such kind of long relationship with it because of my mom and my mom and I always talk about it. We've always been obsessed with it. We still talk about going to New York to do the kind of sex in the city sex tour. Sex in the city tour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I had a really strong affinity with all the characters, particularly with Carrie, because of my job you know I write about dating and fashion and I probably kind of inadvertently have based my life on her and probably my wardrobe too (laughs) honestly sounds great (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm slightly less neurotic than her but um probably not so yeah it's a show that is very close to my heart so I know that you mentioned that you had started rewatching it in your teens, and I'm assuming recently as well. So has your perspective on the show changed at all in the last few years? I mean, I know there's been a lot more criticism since more of the problematic aspects of the show have come to light. So what are your thoughts now? Um, To be honest, my perspective on it, it hasn't changed that much. I mean, I've definitely watched it with a kind of modern lens when I rewatch it now. And there are certain comments and storylines that really jar that obviously didn't jar to me at the time. 
But I think the thing about Sex and the City is it was very of its time in a lot of ways, like a lot of these shows that we're kind of revisiting now, like Friends. And that doesn't mean that it's kind of most offensive moments are okay. But I think it doesn't really hinder my affection for the show. There's something that I think is inherently wrong about judging popular culture from another time under the kind of harsher light of the contemporary culture because that's just not when it was made and it doesn't really make sense to me. And we know that a lot of the storylines and the jokes wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be written today. But that said, I think we should also remember that Sex and City was also really ahead of its time in a lot of other ways. You know, at that time, it was incredibly rare to see women on TV speaking so openly about sex and dating and to have that kind of degree of sexual autonomy it was quite groundbreaking so maybe people are more forgiving of it for that reason but you know that all being said there was obviously a lot that the show got very wrong (laughs) well that brings me to the reboot so and just like that premiered last thursday on hbo max and it's been almost universally panned by critics so what were your thoughts on the first two episodes God, I mean, where do I start? So I'll start with the things that I like. So like just going off the back of what I said before about being groundbreaking, obviously it wouldn't be groundbreaking anymore to have a group of women speaking about their sex lives like in their 20s and 30s. Well, they were in their 30s for the show. But what is groundbreaking is to have women in their mid-50s talking about these kind of things. And I think there is a real opportunity for And Just Like That to kind of fill that cultural gap with these really interesting nuanced conversations and we've seen that a little bit already so I think the bit of the first episode when Miranda complains about finding condoms all over her son's bedroom floor and kind of coming to terms with her son having sex and then Carrie asking Big to masturbate in front of her and having a woman in her mid-50s even talking about masturbation is something that I think is quite transgressive in pop culture we don't see that ever and I think there is this kind of idea that you know, women, once you get over a certain age, they don't talk about sex. They're not sexual beings anymore. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where this show could really excel. And I think it is subtly already kind of doing that. And there was also a storyline, which I've rewatched it several times. (laughs) I keep saying (laughs) new things. Um, But there's like a little moment where um, the actress, Karen Pittman, who plays the professor on Miranda's course, is talking about IVF to her husband. So I think Mm -hmm. that could potentially be a really interesting thing as well. But when I come to things I don't like about it, (laughs) I think in a lot of ways, the characters are kind of unrecognizable. I don't know what they've done to Miranda, but, you know, when she was in the show, she was the most kind of tech savvy, confident, feminist character, I think. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she is kind of this bumbling, out of touch woman now who is like, constantly questioning things and so clumsy with all of her phrasing and with all of her views on, on gender equality and women's rights. Like she's trying, but I just, I just don't believe that she would be that out of touch. <laughs> and I also don't believe that she wouldn't listen to podcasts. Cause when Carrie talks about the podcast, she's like, Oh, I, I don't have podcasts. I'm like, no way she would be on it. She would love fresh air. Mm-hmm. She would be on all those podcasts. Charlotte has become kind of like a caricature of herself. I think, um, become really overbearing, kind of lacking any like emotional depth or self-awareness. Carrie's a bit similar, I think, so far, but it's, you know, it's still quite early days. Obviously, Samantha is <laughs> a big hole in right. the whole thing. I really don't buy the storyline explaining her absence at all. I just find it so hard to believe that, A, they would have this dramatic fallout over 
something so small as Carrie not wanting Samantha to be her publicist anymore. I also don't know why Carrie wouldn't want Samantha to be her publicist anymore, because I feel like Samantha would be so up to date with all of that kind of stuff. She would, you know, be on TikTok and have all of these. I just feel like she'd be really rocking that kind of industry today. I don't know why Carrie wouldn't want her to work with her. And I also just find it really hard to believe that Samantha would just ghost all of her friends. And I've heard a lot of people talking about how it feels like it's a really pointed message to Kim Cattrall because it does kind of reflect what has reportedly happened between Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall, particularly the line when Carrie's like, apparently I was just a walking ATM to her and, you know, I've tried to reach out and I've tried to do this, but she's just ignoring me. And it's, it sounds like what has happened between the two of them in real life, because if you, you know, there's a long history of, of um, rumored rifts, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, there was reports of, Kim Cattrall having money issues with the show and not being paid enough and there being the sort of rivalry between her and Sarah Jessica Parker. And it just sounds like it sounds very pointed and yeah, not believable. And I guess when we talk about the next episode and the kind of twist at the end of the first episode, I can talk a bit more about my bigger issues with it. So I actually, I want to touch on like, um, you had brought up Miranda, but I want to talk about that a little bit more because I don't know, like, what do you think about how the show is addressing current issues like Miranda's white saviorism and Carrie being chastised by her non-binary friend for being a, quote, uptight cisgender female married lady? You know, because, like, on the one hand, it's great that the show is making the attempt to tackle these issues. But then on the other hand, if it's not hitting, then that can be detrimental. So how are you feeling about these moments so far? Look, I mean, I'm all for representation and diversity, and it's definitely something that the show was lacking the first time around. But I think what they've done is quite clumsy and it's a bit too obvious and it's lacking the nuance that I think is needed for these things to be effective. I just find it a little bit almost like satirical. And so now every person they meet is either a person of color or a person who's non-binary or someone who's questioning their gender identity. It's just, it's too, it's like they're trying too hard to make up for the past. And I just think it needs to be a little bit more subtle and it needs to serve the plot as opposed to at the moment, it just seems like they're just trying to ridicule these women for not being woke enough. And it's just way too in your face. And, you know, I don't think they needed to make it so obvious. All they needed to do really was diversify the cast and make sure the characters didn't say anything transphobic or racist. It's not that hard to ask for. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll be right back with more from Olivia Petter. it we're tired of hearing new year new you fat burning secrets and lose weight fast the only thing you need to lose is self-doubt the body you're in deserves respect love and support support you're not getting from your current sports bra it's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market it's time to feel real support from she fit save ten dollars today at shefit.com 2022 Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, 
And I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played with Chuck Bass. I just can't believe that I did that with my life. Jay, we had like the most amazing time. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission clearing my Aunt Beth's name, and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger. Though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking with Olivia Petter about the Sex and the City reboot. Now, you actually wrote a book called Millennial Love about contemporary dating and romance for our generation. I'm curious, as someone who has written extensively about modern relationships, if you think and just like that has anything new to say to younger women? I think it could. Yeah. Um, But like I said, I think young men aren't really going to take it seriously unless the show does start introducing some nuance to the writing. And, you know, it shows that they have a hold on the subjects that they're addressing, which I don't think we've seen yet. But I think one thing that could potentially be very interesting is if we start to see the characters entering the kind of modern dating landscape themselves and using things like dating apps and talking about kind of unsolicited sexual imagery and basically all of the ways that technology has changed the dating landscape. And I think that is still to come from interviews I've read with Michael Patrick King, like that is kind of on the horizon. And I think watching these characters navigate those kind of contemporary dating hurdles could be really interesting I also think you know even from the masturbation thing I mentioned earlier with Carrie going into her bedroom with Big and you know asking him to masturbate in front of her I think that's something that young people can learn from because you know so many of us aren't open about what we want sexually with a partner particularly young women and I think going in and asking for what you want and being more upfront about it and kind of having that power is definitely something that people can learn from. So, yeah, I think we will get that. We just haven't had that much of it yet. But I think all things are pointing to the fact that we might get that. And I also want to mention that, like, OK, Carrie and Charlotte and Miranda are all very, very wealthy. I mean, they were already pretty well off in the original show. So now almost 20 years later, that's only grown. So do you think that maybe there's like a class or wealth aspect of the series that makes it a little less relatable? Definitely. I think the wealth and affluence has always been like a real blind spot for the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, I interviewed Cynthia Nixon and one of her comments about this was that this was always a real issue. So I'm surprised that she hasn't maybe tried to address this with the writers or maybe she has, I don't know. But she was saying how, you know, the only kind of working class character was her partner, Steve. Um, Mm. And that was so rare. And, and, you know, of course it makes it less relatable. These women dressed head to toe in designer clothes. Charlotte bought her 
young daughter's dresses from Oscar de la Renta for a piano recital. It's just like, it's so absurd. And, you know, obviously Vic has his Peloton, which we'll get to. And Mm -hmm. Carrie is talking about this expensive salmon that she was buying at the market. You know, none of them are relatable in that sense. And I think the wealth is very in your face, similarly to what it was like in the second film, which was also critically panned. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, love is obviously a universal experience as is sex and dating. So, I think there are issues that the show will address that will be relatable if they're careful about it and they don't continue to kind of flash the wealth in our face like they're doing now. What I did notice that was quite funny is that Miranda takes the subway. They seem to make a point that they really want us to know that Miranda takes the subway because there are several scenes of her (laughs) on the subway and I've never seen a character on Sex and City take the subway before. So maybe they're trying to do that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... We got to talk about it. We got to talk about the, the big spoiler at the end of the episode. So listeners, again, if if you have not watched yet and you don't want to be spoiled, please pause for the next two minutes. But OK, so this was wild. I found out about it before I watched it. But Mr. Big died of a heart attack after writing a Peloton. I mean, as a fan, why do you think they did that? So when when it happened, so I had no idea that this was happening. And I watched it first thing in the morning when I woke up. I was so shocked. I was like trying to work out what they were doing because there was this like buildup of piano music and being on his pedestal. Mm. I was like, this is a really pointless scene. I was like, what the hell is going on? This is so weird. And then he gets off the bike and he like, puts his heart to his chest. <gasps> I have goosebumps even thinking about it. I was distraught. I was so shocked yes. and so upset. So look, I can see why they did it. Having thought about it, they needed something to change for the season. I think they couldn't just rely on the nostalgia of fans and references back to the show and jokes about a group of women in their mid fifties, like trying mm. to be woke. That just wouldn't have been enough substance. So I think in order for the show to have any kind of like emotional depth, there had to be some kind of dramatic shift. So I think Big's death like provides a really interesting mm-hmm. opportunity for that. You know, it also puts Carrie back on the dating scene, which I think will be really interesting for us to see, not only as a woman in her mid-50s navigating the modern dating world with technology and stuff, but also just just seeing, you know, a widow go through that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be a really interesting and important examination of grief which could be really compelling and is also something that I think is really misunderstood to this day. And I think it's also something that unfortunately a lot of us can probably relate to because of the pandemic. So that could be really powerful. Having said that, (laughs) I am really angry that they have done this without Samantha. I find it incredibly hard to believe that regardless of any kind of fight that Carrie and Samantha and the other women had, if Carrie loses the love of her life, her husband, Samantha wouldn't jump on a plane to come to London right. right away to be by her side. I just find that so hard to believe. And not only that, she continues to not reply to their messages. And then what does she do? She sends flowers for the funeral. I'm like, as if that's the only thing that she's going to do. She was one of the most loyal characters to all of them throughout the series and the films, particularly to Carrie. And the whole point of this show was about women being each other's soulmates and women being there for each other above romantic partners and putting everything to one side and prioritizing one another. So like I said, I can understand why they did it, but I'm kind of heartbroken that they've done this without Samantha because I do think it kind of goes against everything that Sex and the City was supposed to be about. So... I find it quite hard. So to wrap this up, I know you've talked a little bit about the differences already between the show, mostly the age and like seeing these characters that we've come to love, like tackle these new elements of life at their age. But 
only two episodes have come out. So I'm wondering, what do you hope to see in the rest of the season? Well, now that we know that Big is dead, I'm hoping that they are going to really follow through on the grief angle and really explore that in a very complicated way because grief is incredibly complicated and it can be completely maddening. And I think it's coming at a really interesting point in Carrie's life, in her midlife. Um, So I'm really hoping that they are going to do that justice. Um, And I'm also hoping that they are going to continue to explore sex and dating for women of this age and and relationships and keeping the spark alive between these long-term partnerships that we have between Charlotte and Harry and Miranda and Steve. And, you know, they've been hinting that Miranda is going to kind of explore her sexuality in this series, which I think could also be really interesting. I just hope that they do it with nuance and carefully. And I also hope that, you know, they, they've kind of hinted at Miranda having a drinking problem so I hope they handle that carefully as well. Mm. I just I just don't want them to be clumsy in the way that I think they have been a little bit clumsy so far in terms of the representation stuff. I'm hoping that they are just a little bit careful and culturally and socially aware. And I, th- I hope they retain that kind of wit and charm that the original series had. And, you know, like I said, this is an opportunity to, to create some really transgressive, groundbreaking TV. I just hope they do it right. Well, we'll just have to uh, watch and and see. Um, All right. So where can our audience find you and your work? So I write for The Independent about all sorts of things like Sex and City, obviously, at every chance I can get. Um, (laughs) And I've also written a book, um, Millennial Love, all about dating and relationships, which uh, you can buy online at all the bookstores. Well, Olivia, it was so great talking to you today. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, don't try and upstage Megan the Stallion. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you go for your podcasts. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of the biggest stories on BuzzFeed, coming to you daily. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver, and on my podcast, Mini Questions, I put together a little experiment. I ask trailblazers across different disciplines the same seven questions. Questions about the inflection points in their life, what they like least about themselves, and what relationship has defined love for them. This season, I'm coming back with new trailblazers, like blondie vocalist Debbie Harry. I did have a revelation. It was at CBGB's, as a matter of fact. I was waiting for the audience to give it to me, give it to me. Then I realized that I had to make them. I had to command them. Artist and creative juggernaut, Goldie. And I walk up to the mountain, I hike up. Just being in that environment and seeing life and death in front of you, right in front of you. And I go up there and scream and cry and, and, and laugh. And I find that being the happiest. 
and many more. Join me as we continue this exploration on season two of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.